0: Are you one of the hundreds of thousands of people looking for a new career path as a result of this pandemic crisis? On this episode, we're talking about one of the possible career options for you, that of a life coach, and what it'll take to become one. My name's Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode 129. hello hello my friend thank you so much for joining me for another episode of second breaks a show about navigating a changing world and thriving in our careers no matter if it's our second third or fourth act i'm Lou blazer your curious sidekick and today we're turning our monocle on the topic of life coaching as a possible career path now why does this matter why are we even talking about this Because we have entered a time similar to the 2008 recession when lots of people across different industries, different professions are being forced to or are choosing to look at their current career path and ask themselves, what else can I do? Now, for some, this may be a time for repositioning ourselves within our current field. And for others, this may be a time for a pivot or a career change. Now, we started this season on career continuity and resilience, looking at the mindset and and the uh, immediate habits and and processes that we can take in response to what's happening in the world. Now, for the remainder of the season, we're going to turn our lens on the question, what do I do now? Today, we're exploring life coaching as a possible career path. This field of work has exploded in the last decade, and so we're going to dig into what this work is all about, who would be the ideal person for this kind of role. The good, bad, and in the in between, and what it would take for you to become a life coach, if this is the field that you would like to pursue. So, I am joined by Lee Shay McDonough, a business coach for coaches. Uh, she is a uh, she was herself a life coach before she pivoted to business coaching. Uh, Lee is an ICF certified business coach. She's the creator of the Coach with Clarity framework. She's also a licensed clinical social worker and the author of the book, Act on Your Business. So if you have ever considered life coaching as a new career, or you're considering what you might want or could do next, you're going to find this episode useful as we drill down on the 411 of life coaching. Or if you know someone who's thinking about doing this, definitely let them know about this episode. So my friend, here's Lee Shay McDonough, and we start with the question, what is life coaching and what is this work all about?
1: I think the best place to start is with the definition from the International Coaching Federation, which really is the primary coaching organization, certainly in the United States, but internationally as well. And they define coaching as partnering with clients in a thought-provoking and creative process, which inspires them to maximize their personal and their professional potential. And I love that definition. I think it is so complete and succinct at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. And what really resonates with me is that it's the emphasis on partnership. And I think that is what a good coaching experience really does. It's it's a partnership of equals. So it's not the coach telling the client what to do, nor is it the client ordering the coach around. It's really two equals coming together and helping the client achieve much more than maybe they'd be able to do on their own. Mm-hmm. And. We bring in creativity and curiosity and um, deep questions. And it's it's just really an exciting process.
0: Are there different kinds of life coaching or is it just do other people call it different things? Well, I think there are different
1: approaches or or different niches, if you will. Certainly, there's room for business coaching. There's wellness coaching. There's life coaching, relationship coaching. Uh, So I think it it really – the way I like to think about it is that's the doorway through which the client enters – But once they're in the room, coaching can really be a holistic process. So for example, a lot of the work that I do, I think would be defined as business coaching. Mm -hmm. I work uh, a lot with people who want to translate their existing skills and experiences into a coaching profession. And so they're coming to me to figure out how to build their businesses and how to build their coaching mastery. So that doorway they're entering through is business coaching. But once we're in that relationship together, we're talking about a lot of things because as you know, how we show up in our business is often how we show up in relationships, how we show up with our health, how we show up in our, just the relationship with ourself. So I like to think of coaching broadly because a well-trained coach is able to support the client really in, in, most, if not all, of the areas of their life.
0: I see. So when when somebody when somebody calls herself or himself a life coach, um, is that a sign that this person I could talk to him or her about different things across different aspects of my life? Basically? I think so. What.
1: When I hear life coaching, I tend to view that as more of a generalist approach, whereas when we talk about other types of coaching, maybe that's more of a specialty approach. Um, So we kind of have coaching as the umbrella. Certainly life coaching can handle a lot of different uh, areas, but then there's also more specific types of coaching too that may be a better fit given whatever it is the client wants to work on.
0: What makes someone, uh, an ideal coach, if there is such a thing? I mean, what what qualities or skills would make someone ideal for this particular role, do you think?
1: Well, I think I wanna clear up a a misconception, which is that a coach is a really good advice giver or they're good at like telling people what to do because that's really not at the heart of coaching. Um, Now, at times it may be appropriate for the coach to provide some advice or feedback or some direct suggestions, but really deep, powerful coaching is about guiding the client towards uncovering their own solutions and their own insights. So to do that, coaches need to be really curious and they need to know how to formulate really strong questions because it's through the questions that the client is able to kind of tap into their own wisdom and then start to come up with their own perceptions, their own insights, and their own solutions. So I think creativity in and curiosity go hand in hand when coming up with those questions. I think that's really important. And I think a good coach is also open to new experiences, open to new ways of viewing the world or approaching things. Because certainly, I'll be honest, there's times in session where the client will be talking and my brain is thinking, well, they should just do this and this and this. And if they would only do these things, they'd be fine. That's not the code, you know, so then I put my coach hat on and I start asking some questions, facilitating the conversation, and inevitably the client comes up with their own solutions that may not have matched those things I was thinking of, and yet it is so perfect for them. So. Being open to that and, and again, viewing it as a partnership, I think, is a really important piece of of the coaching process.
0: I love when you said, uh, when you clarified, because I think that's a lot of misnomer, right? And so I can imagine, and in fact, I know at least one person who said this to me some time ago, that you know, lots of people come to her for advice and she mentors people. And so she's thinking she is perfect for the role. It, it, now, it doesn't mean that she's not perfect for being a life coach. It's just that life coaching doesn't mean giving advices or all the time.
1: Exactly. And one of the things that I talk about with the coaches that I train is that yes, there is a time and a place where maybe it's appropriate for you to take more of a consultant perspective and provide that direct feedback. But that only happens after you have established a very strong relationship with the coach and client, so that there's mutual trust, and that we've given the client the the time and the space to. Try to come up with their own solutions first. we don't want to jump in and tell them what to do or give advice before the client has had the opportunity to do some of that exploration on their own.
0: There's this other idea that um, I am thirty years old. What do I know about coaching i haven't had I haven't lived a full life, but that's not really what it's about, it's not about my own experiences, it's the way that I could guide you to figure out what's right for you. Did I, did I explain that correctly?
1: Yes, yes, 100%. And, and I do think there is this belief that in order to be an effective coach, you have to have had all of this experience. And um, quite honestly, I think what makes an effective coach is someone who is intuitive, who can tap into their own inner wisdom and pay attention to those cues that are coming up and then they know how to translate that into those questions or, or reflection statements to help the client tap into their own wisdom, too. And that's something that is a skill that can be developed, but it's not limited to, by age. And some of the most powerful coaches I've known have been younger, but they're, they're so smart. And, and their chronological age doesn't necessarily match like their wisdom age. I think effective coaches meet the client where they are in the moment and we're, we're all different. We all have different experiences. And so it's not about, Oh, I've lived this already. So I'm in a position to coach you through it. I mean, occasionally there's, there's room for that, but really it's about creating the container in which the client can explore their own thoughts and emotions about an experience. And then also how to create an action plan so that they're moving forward in a way that's really fully aligned with what matters most to them. That's the magic of coaching.
0: So with any job, even the ones that we love, there are the good parts and the not so good parts. And so I wanted to explore this with Lee because she was a life coach before she pivoted to business coaching. So I asked her, what was the good part about it? It comes back to that idea of partnership. For me, there's
1: nothing more fulfilling than connecting with another human being in a really deep way. And and that synergy that occurs is just so powerful. And to be able to walk alongside someone on their journey is such an honor. And to know that um, I'm enriching their experience is really powerful. Because every single client I've ever worked with has always had everything they needed to create the success they wanted in their life it wasn't me that was responsible for their success it was all them but through the partnership it allowed them to achieve that success maybe a little faster and definitely with more joy and so i really view the role of the coach as being a catalyst a catalyst for change and a catalyst for growth and so when you have that partnership like it's magical for for me that's the highlight of of coaching
0: and then i also asked her what didn't you like What was most challenging? The hardest part
1: sometimes is sitting on my hands and not (laughs) (laughs) like getting in there and like, oh, let's do this and let's do this. Um, I think one of my strengths and one of the strengths a lot of coaches share is that we're really good at seeing opportunities. So when a client is talking and and maybe they're coming from a perspective of feeling disappointed or this didn't work out or you know I'm so frustrated my mind is going towards okay so where's the opportunity in this where can we go next and so for me the hard part is not jumping the gun and allowing the client to kind of reach that point in their own time and then also not cutting them off at the knees and telling them what to do that that's a challenge for a lot of coaches because we want to help, we want to serve, and we think that the best way to serve our client is to like get in there and just like give them a plan and go to it. Um, and really, what it's about is empowering the client. We want the client to feel like they're in control of their lives and that they have, you know, the the ability to to move forward in a way that's consistent with like their goals and their dreams. So for me, sometimes the hardest part really is just like to, toning it down and backing off and
0: and meeting the client where they are in the moment. That's that's key. So I mentioned to someone that I was going to interview you for and that this was going to be the topic of our conversation and they sent me a couple of questions. So one of them is that, She said that she is, I guess the term is empath. Will that make it harder for her to be a life coach?
1: So, my take is that being an empath is a double edged sword with coaching. In many ways, it's going to be her secret weapon, but um, if she's not careful, it can also be um, a detriment. Because empaths have the unique ability of like literally feeling what their clients feel. They are so energetically attuned to their clients that they can really immerse themselves in their client's experience, which is wonderful in terms of feeling connected with the client and really deeply understanding where they're coming from. And in that sense, it can be a huge benefit um, for coaches if they also have that empathic ability. But the problem is when we get too immersed in someone else's life, sometimes we can lose ourselves in it. And so that's why, um, as with, and I'm sure this is not going to come as a surprise to any empaths out there listening, being able to establish really clear boundaries is is the key. So understanding energetically where you end and where the client begins so that you can feel what they're feeling and and hold that experience without taking it on as your own. So maintaining that detachment is particularly important for empaths. And once we're able to do that, then that's that's where we can really be most effective as coaches. So that would be my my reply to her is that it's not necessarily a bad thing but you've got to have the boundaries in place so that it doesn't become um a liability it
0: actually becomes your asset. Gotcha. And then the other question that I got was that I guess she attempted or she tried uh this space before and she um she turned away from from it because Sometimes she got so frustrated that the the client or the people that she's trying to help, it's as if they don't want to, eat. like she wants it more for them. It, she feels like she's always pulling teeth. Do you think that that was a unique situation or that happens or, you know? It does. It's not uncommon for coaching clients,
1: even those who are motivated to change, to experience resistance. And resistance is part of the process. And so that's that's another difficult piece about the coaching profession is understanding that when a client is expressing resistance, first, it's not personal. It's not about me as the coach, <laughs> right? This is, this is oh, not, yes. not <laughs> um, It's really about their readiness to kind of dig in and create new habits and create new patterns and move forward. And there's all sorts of good reasons why they might not be ready to do so. And as coaches, it's not our job to force them or or push them before they're ready. It is our job to meet them where they are, to make sure that they feel affirmed and that we take the time to really get into their lives. Because if they're experiencing resistance, there's a good reason for it. Oftentimes, it's because of something that's happened before or because of a, of an entrenched limiting belief that they're holding on to. And so the resistance is a part of the process. And in fact, the, the more we kind of move outside our comfort zone, the more that resistance is going to come in to try to keep us in our safe place. And so for our clients, then the question becomes, well, is what you need right now, that safety and staying where you are, or are you willing to take a risk and do something new in the service of meeting that goal, that vision that, that you are related. And so that's the balancing point. Um, but yes, certainly dealing with client resistance can come up in coaching. And that's why having a strong relationship that's built on that partnership on trust and on mutual respect is so important because that's, that's the foundation to helping our clients work through their resistance
0: so now that we know a little bit about the good the bad and the in between it's time to talk about training how does one become a life coach so here's the the thing about the coaching profession
1: it is a self-regulating profession which means that there is no at least in the united states and and i i think it pretty much worldwide there's no governmental oversight of who can call themselves a coach, how they're trained, how they're certified. So for example, as, as a psychotherapist, I was licensed through my state and there was laws and regulations and exams I had to pass and so forth. Uh, with coaching, that's not the case. Anyone can call themselves a coach. Anyone can start a coaching business like right now and just hang out, their shingle and call themselves a coach. So there is a low bar to entry for the profession, which means that people who are looking for coaches need to do their homework Mm. and need to to know what to look for. Um, Now it is a self-regulating industry. And so there are organizations out there like the International Coaching Federation that provide credentialing of coaches and accreditation of coach training programs. So the program I went through was ICF accredited the program I run is a, accredited through ICF for continuing coach education. I just think that offers some certainty to the consumer that you are working with someone who has been trained, who follows the ICF code of ethics, who is, you know, meets the core competencies for coaching as defined by ICF. So training is not a requirement, but I think especially for people who don't have previous experience working with clients in this capacity, um, it's,
0: it's a must so amongst other things they're going to learn how to i guess they're going to learn how to guide their clients like the the equivalent of their toolkit yes
1: and i think an effective coach training program knows how to marry the the development of coaching skills and the tools we use with self-reflection and insight. I'll tell you, when I went through my coach training program, I did learn a lot about how to be a coach, but the personal transformation that I experienced Ah. was so powerful. And it was almost like the, the self-coaching process and the peer coaching that also shaped my perspective and my identity as a coach. So yes, it was very helpful in terms of building that toolbox and that, all the skills, but also it helped me really step into what it meant to look at life through the lens of a coach. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really neat. I guess a certification means you pass an exam
0: or something like that?
1: Yes, so and Again, I'm speaking to ICF. Other organizations have have different credentialing processes. But with ICF, there are three levels of credentialing. There's the associate, the professional, and the master certified coach, ACC, PCC, MCC. Um, And each one has a different requirement in terms of the number of training hours required, the number of coaching hours required, mentoring, and so forth. So um, the ICF website is a great resource for that, coachfederation.org. But when I started out, I completed a program that allowed me to obtain my ACC and, and my PCC. So I now have, I now have the professional certified coach credential. And so The programs can vary in length depending on the number of hours they're providing. I think for the ACC, it's a minimum of 60 coach-specific training hours, and then it goes up um, from there for for the other ones. And then along with the training, there's also coaching requirements. So for the ACC, for example, 100 hours of coaching, 70 to 75 of which need to be paid. The others can be pro bono. Oh, I
0: see. And
1: then there is a a coach knowledge assessment or an exam that that you take and pass. some other requirements, mentoring requirements and so forth. So yeah, it's a pretty rigorous program actually to be um, credentialed through ICF. So again, I think having that ICF credential is an asset to coaches and it sets them apart when they're engaging with their potential clients and they're able to say, well, you know, I've, I've been through this program, I'm ICF accredited and especially in, in corporate uh, environments, I think having that credential is really considered the goal.
0: Did you do yours online Uh, Of course, these days, everything is online. But
1: (laughs) (laughs) These days, everything is online. Mine was a hybrid, so I had some in-person weekend retreats, and then between those was um, online learning, um, video or telephone conference calls, and peer coaching, and that sort of thing.
0: We're going to get back to Lee after this short break. I want to let you know about what's happening inside the other second breaks, the newsletter. So thing number one, inside the newsletter, we're talking about roles, specifically the roles that we play or want to play during times of crisis. Now, why are we talking about this? Because many of us are called to action during times of crisis. And really, it doesn't require a pandemic to realize this. Just think back to any time in the past at work or any time in your life when things were turned sort of upside down and things weren't normal for a while. Think about what role you were called to do. Not necessarily because of your job function, but what role were you called to do? And you might discover that the roles that you play or that you want to play uh, isn't exactly the same as your job title. And often this is the case because when we are called to action during a time of crisis, often we are uh, we are called to do things that are driven by our sense of purpose or our, our values or, or something bigger than ourselves. So inside a newsletter, I talked about the framework that Deepa Iyer developed to help us figure out the roles of our highest relevance, our highest uh, contribution and meaning. Uh, Thing number two, are you wondering at all what this high unemployment rate means to you if you're not one of the 30 million people who have already filed for unemployment? Well, inside the newsletter, I've linked to this article that outlines the four ways that this situation can impact us, even if we have a job. The gist of it is that this high, this record high unemployment rate has ripple effects on the job market. So for instance, competition is likely to heat up and so it will be harder to get a new job. Um, You may want to start checking your 401k and avoid the ensuing depression. uh, That's another possible impact. So if you want to dig into these stories, plus the rest of the week's issue, head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash archive. And while you are there, don't forget to subscribe for free to get the newsletter in your inbox every Sunday. Okay, so let's get back to Lee. Let's turn the conversation to the um, other side of this, which is after all, if I want to be a life coach, part of it is because this is going to be my profession, and so therefore I need to make money out of it. Yes. <laughs> so, Let's talk about the getting your first clients. <laughs> what, what, what's realistic to, to uh, expect so when you're coming out of the gates and you're a brand new life coach? What's realistic?
1: Well, I think in terms of finding clients, before we even get to that point, I think it's really important for the coach to have a clear understanding of who it is they want to serve. So being really clear on their audience knowing what that person most wants and what they need and sometimes what they want and what they need are not the same thing but as coaches we kind of bring the two together and then it's how can we meet them where they are to serve those wants and needs so how are we going to do that so if we're clear on the who and the what and the how then that's going to help us when we go out there and start talking about what we do and that's essential when we're looking at finding clients and what I have found both in my personal experience and also in the coaches that I work with the first clients tend to come through channels we've already established. Mm. So it usually comes from personal referral. And that's why it, it is so important to be able to clearly articulate your message about who you serve and how you serve them and then start letting people know so that when you are networking with people and you're talking about your coaching practice, you can be specific about who you want to work with. And you can ask them, who do you know that might benefit from this type of coaching? So the first path for finding your ideal clients is really drilling down into your message and then sharing that message with your existing channels. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause a lot of times my coaches will be like, well, what about my website and what about my social media platforms? And don't get me wrong. I, we need websites and we need social media platforms, but that's not usually how we find our first clients those serve more as verification tools. So when a, someone finds out about us, then they go to make sure we are who we say we are and we do what we say we do. But the way they initially meet us at first is usually through a personal connection. Um, so for very, very first clients, I think really leveraging your existing um, networks is is the best way to go.
0: Is it realistic to to expect to earn right away? Like, so the reason I ask that is that, you know, uh, especially if someone is coming from corporate America where, you know, you're employed. So the moment you start working, two weeks later, you get paid, right? Um, so when you start doing this work, is it realistic to get paid or, or should someone be, cause we've heard about, you know, start offering your services for free. What, what is, you know, what is practical? <laughs> Oh, my gosh, we could do a whole episode just on that question alone. Um,
1: I will tell you, my perspective is there's there's different ways that you can move into professional coaching. Some people are internal coaches where they are hired by an organization to provide coaching in-house. Mm-hmm. So that's like a traditional W-2 salaried. So in that sense, if that's the route you're able to go, then yes, you're going to be earning a salary pretty quickly many coaches, if not most coaches, tend to go more the entrepreneurial route where they're starting their own business. And as with any business, it takes time to ramp up and reach profitability. Now, I think with coaching, it is possible to run a lean business mm. and to bring revenue in and, and be profitable early on. But it does mean we need to be really careful about how, you know, expenses and and so forth. Um, i am a huge fan of maybe having an initial session be complimentary before, you know, but I don't necessarily do like, I'm going to see everyone for free Mm. so that I can improve my skills. I don't think that's necessary because I think most coaches have what it takes to provide really powerful professional coaching services from the start. So If what you want to do is be a professional coach and run a business, then that means charging for your services. Now, it is highly likely that your rates will increase the more experience you get and the more in-demand you become. So we're not talking necessarily about thousands and thousands of dollars right off the get-go if that's not what you're comfortable with. Um, but I do think that it is real it's realistic for coaches to expect to bring revenue in. And then depending on the expenses, we, you know, it's it's certainly possible to be profitable, but it, it requires some really thoughtful planning. And it requires knowing who your audience is and really targeting them effectively. I think if we try to go after everyone, then it becomes really vague and Ironically, the more people we try to serve, the harder it becomes to really connect with the people who we can be most uh, most suited for.
0: Well, at the height of your life coaching practice before you switched to business coaching, which we're going to talk about next, um, were you seeing clients like? how packed was your calendar? I just wanted to give a sense of what is a a week in the life of a life coach? Yes, so what I
1: find is that 50% of my time was kind of client facing, so one-on-one clients or maybe maybe some group coaching. And then the other 50% of my time was behind the scenes. So it was the marketing, it was uh, content creation, everything that goes into running a business. So it was not uncommon for me to, depending on where I was um, in my practice to have 10 to 15 clients a week. So, you know, whether it was 60 or 90 minute sessions, and then the rest of the time was spent marketing and so forth. So it was definitely a full time job, even though the number of client facing hours may not have been 40 hours a week.
0: Also, I think that would be like, I could just imagine you'd be so tired if you were just seeing client after client after client, because you also need to have that in between sort of, you know, your own downtime, I suppose, in between, right? I can just imagine. Yeah. And that was what my
1: life was like as a therapist, actually, um, especially when I was working for agencies. I was seeing clients one after another, after another, after another, you know, five days a week. And it was exhausting because that's v- <laughs> that's very draining work. And I loved it. But you know, to to be seeing 25, 35, 40 clients a week was a lot. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to move into coaching was it allowed me the flexibility to see fewer clients and to be more present for my family and to pursue other hobbies. Um, So the flexibility of, of the coaching profession really appealed to me as well.
0: Let's talk about you and what you do today, because I think what you do is very interesting. Could you talk a little bit about your work today and who you work with? So when I first started out
1: coaching, I I was doing more one-on-one coaching, and it was kind of a mixture of life and business. The more people I was working with in a business coaching capacity, um, I was doing a lot of work with therapists and healthcare professionals, probably because of my background. They would then say to me, this coaching thing, this is is really interesting, tell me more about it, how how do you become a coach? And I started to kind of create a niche for myself around helping therapists and allied health professionals transition into coaching and how they could leverage their training, their skills, their insights into a successful coaching business. So I started doing some some one-on-one and some group coaching around that And that really led me into founding Coach with Clarity, which is a business coaching and coach education company. And so now I spend most of my time in the Coach with Clarity membership, which provides both the art and the business of coaching for my clients. So they are learning how to become masterful coaches while building their coaching business as well. So that's been a lot of fun, and that's where I sought um, ICF accreditation as a continuing coach education provider, which is fantastic because then people who have the ICF accreditation in order to maintain it, they need a certain number of uh, coaching hours with every renewal period, and they can get those through the membership. So they're learning, they're growing, and they're getting the required hours they need. It's, it's been so much fun. Um, that has been phase one. And moving forward, we're looking at expanding so that we can start providing initial coach training programs as well. So it's, uh, it's been quite a ride.
0: And um, do you tackle the setting up the business component of it?
1: I do. in fact, um, right before just I just got off a call with my membership, I have a kind of a bonus course within the membership about creating a business. And we just wrapped up the session on business planning today. So that's been a lot of fun because many of the coaches that I work with, they're drawn to coaching because they want to help people. They want to serve. they want to, Um, and I want them to do that and to do that you have to have a sustainable business underneath it so you really in my mind if you're going to go into business for yourself you have to have both you need to understand what it means to show up and serve your clients powerfully and show up and serve your business powerfully as well
0: gotcha so where can we find out more about your program your membership and also where can we find you online
1: Yes, come find me. Come hang out. Uh, you can head to coachwithclarity.com and that's really the hub for everything that I've got going on so you can learn about the membership there. Um, that's also the home of the Coach with Clarity podcast, So um, which you can you know download and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And that's really, in fact, I'm just wrapping up a getting started series where I'm walking people through what you need to do in order to become a coach. So yeah, you can check that out too. little behind the scenes sneak peek. I'm also working on a, a guide, a free guide that will summarize all of the highlights from the Getting Started series. So when that's available, it will also be at coachwithclarity.com. And that's also where you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, Coach with Clarity. That's 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 where I am.
0: I hope you found that conversation with Lee Shea McDonough helpful. For the show notes, the links, and the highlights of this episode, head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this episode or like listening to the podcast, please share it with your friends. Tell them you like this episode or that you listen to the podcast regularly. They're going to thank you for it. And so will I, as it helps tremendously when you help spread the word. Now, next week, we're going to get curious about another answer to the question, what do I do now? And this time, we're going to look into starting a business. Is this a good time to start one? How and where do you even start? And I'm going to be joined by Michelle Ward, who is a business strategist who works with people who are looking to start a business. So just the right person to geek out with. The best way not to miss that episode and all other future episodes is to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that now using whatever app it is that you're on right now as you listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be on the website, uh, right around the audio player, you're going to find some options for podcast apps as well. Okie dokie. I will be back next week with Michelle Ward. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your dent, my friends. Cool beans.